Welcome to English Touring Theatre's Fucked Up Bedtime Stories for Adults, a twisted anthology of short stories for grown-ups. Content warnings available in the episode description. Put your headphones on, relax, and enjoy. The Giant by Chris Bush Performed by Sophie Melville My family came from the country. Not landowners, but men who can't own land, and they knew that. Didn't mean it was any less theirs. Over the years, many hundreds of years, all told, others had come with their fences and decrees and ordnance surveys, along with painstaking explanations and official documentation signed in triplicate as to why this field, this elm, this flock of starlings was in fact the property of the squire, or the king, or the coal board. And my family would smile and nod in the way you might to a small child who'd just announced they were on their way to Mars. The king, you say. All of this here's very nice. So when should we expect him? I'll put the kettle on, shall I, as you come all this way? This refusal to be contained meant my people remained boundless. In geography and in imagination. A great-great-uncle on my mother's side grew tired of the constraints of gravity and opted to live amongst the clouds instead, where there are fewer walls and arguments. Not to be outdone, his sister began to proselytise against the tyranny of three dimensions, and through a combination of early morning breathing exercises and fish oil supplements, managed to access a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, and at that point lost count because numbers no longer understood her. She lives to this day in the gaps in dry stone walling and the innate determination of salmon. My parents never felt such wanderlust. They were happy to stay in the familiar foothills of their forebears, surrounded by big skies and endless green. I was a big baby, bonny, round, a sight to be seen. When outstretched, each of my chubby forearms measured the length of a football field. While other mothers bathed their broods in Belfast sinks, mine built dams and flooded valleys, leaving a series of beautifully constructed reservoirs behind us. My father, for his part, uprooted ancient pines and bundled them together into brushes to scrub my back. The needles, soft and ticklish, scent of the sap extraordinary, and this, combined with my irresistible new baby smell, would inspire manufacturers of high-end disinfectants and toilet cleaners for decades to come. Pine fresh. Delicious. A travelling salesman, a long way from home and beginning to doubt his calling, offered my mother a small fortune to study my unique aroma and laboratory conditions, but she refused him. In those days we both wept inconsolably when we were out of each other's sight, and having interfered quite enough with the natural water table already, to prize me from her arms in the name of commerce was to risk a flash flood the valley might never recover from. 
Still, I grew older and more robust. The softer parts of me began to fuse and become solid. Mother relinquished her grip. My father, despite being no friend of conformity, did see the benefits of socialization, and so I was sent to school. The school lay in the village, which was built on a different scale. It sat in the cradle of six great hills, at the point at which all things converged. In truth, many of its students had never sought an education, but were merely the victims of its geography. Slip and fall anywhere within a five-mile radius, and you would tumble, tuck and roll until gravity deposited you at its gates. Its pull was inescapable. On my first day, I was squeezed into a uniform stitched from old ship sails discreetly corseted at the back to draw me in, pack me down, pull me tight. A slight breeze caught my pocket lining and it billowed out, sweeping me down the valley where I arrived gracefully on grazed and bloodied knees like some great galleon of old. I was far too large to fit inside the schoolhouse itself, so I was moored in the playground, left to lie flat, one giant eyeball pressed up against the window pane, eager to learn. Things improved a little at break time, when I was soon declared the greatest goalie the school had ever known. Complaints from the opposition, though, I was too massive and immovable. It wasn't fair. Besides which, their parents claimed I impaired their progress, disrupted lessons. Over time, I got better at compression. I learned to fold myself over and over like an origami crane until I could limbo under doorways and sit silently in the back of the classroom. Concentrated and concertinaed. Years passed. I kept my head down until muscle memory held it there. On the final day of sixth form, we were given our certificates and crampons and sent up and over the hills to seek our fortune. I stretched out, I unfurled. It wasn't to last. I moved to the city, which was much bigger than any place I'd ever been, yet somehow much smaller too. Far too many of us, with far too little space, all crammed together with nowhere to grow but up. Like forced rhubarb creaking and straining towards the light. Newly unsupervised, my limbs began to grow long and thin like spaghetti. Like drain pipes. Like urban ivy winding up and around the sides of buildings, bringing their value crashing down. Locals salted me at regular intervals in the hope I would shrink back. They sealed my cracks, tried to smoke me out, hacked off any extraneous growth, laid glue traps and eviction notices. I awoke one day to discover my left lung had been sold off to a private developer and was now occupied by half a dozen fine art students who smoked roll-ups and received regular care packages from their families. Their parents lived in the country too but not the same country as mine. They strung up fairy lights along the curvature of my spine. I learnt to take shallower breaths. <laughs> At some point, I was condemned. Still, I was prepared for all of this. My kind cannot be contained. But while in my youth, my mass was a solid thing, the city taught me to be elastic. I stretched like gum from the base of an escalator to its top and round and round and round. My skin, pulled taut, was almost entirely translucent. And all of us here were being stretched and pulled and moulded into an architecture not of our choosing. No matter. I liked this lean new me. I suited it. 
They reveled in the contortion. In an immersive railway arch sponsored by Aperol, a fuchsia-haired beauty tied knots in my tongue and told me I was too pure for this world. The lights on the river shone through me and made me forget myself. My scars healed. My wounds became normal. After all, we all had them. It was the price we paid. And then... Then one day the train stopped... This wasn't in itself so unusual, but the next day the sky was suspended and the trees were rationed. Stranger still, in the weeks that followed, someone started stealing my shoes. One pair at a time, swapping them for clown-like replacements so I stumbled out of them. My jeans became comically loose. My favourite coat, once sleek and fitted, now dragged behind me like a bridal train. I didn't like where this was heading. I was almost grateful when the order came to remain indoors, and I could pad around bath-robed and barefooted, swaddled in toweling and denial. Inside, the walls drew in at the same rate as I did, which allowed me to maintain some sense of proportion, but masked the speed of my decline. An old gym sock became my sleeping bag, until even that began to swamp me. I phoned home a lot. The art students, in the spirit of neighbourly camaraderie, painted me a series of spectacular trompe l'oeil backdrops on the side of empty oat milk cartons. So at least in the video calls, my family couldn't see how much my world had shrunk. My mother remarked on how small I looked, but I told her no. I was just very far away. The truth is, by this point I was not much larger than the screen itself. But the benefit of a screen is there's no way of telling. Maybe that's true of us all. Come home, they begged. But there was no way for me to travel. Not in my current state. I just had to wait it out. The art students did move back in with their parents. But their circumstances were different. They hadn't been so afflicted. They could take far greater strides. In the dead of night, a huge white sail descended from the heavens and swept the great and good out of the city and back to their ancestral seats. It was so large, I almost mistook it for one of my own shirts from childhood. Although the cloth was much finer. Silk, if I had to guess. Besides, I hadn't seen any of my old clothes for years. My lodgings here had no space for mixed fabrics or nostalgia. My new capsule wardrobe, an upcycled nitrous oxide canister salvaged from remnants of blitz spirit, could only hold so much. And with the students gone, it soon became necessary to downsize again. A wily fox helped me relocate to a more affordable postage stamp adhered to the roof of a bus stop in Zone 3. And every night, in a fit of patriotic fervour, I would lay my cheek against Her Majesty's, may she rest in peace, and sing God Save the Queen. The winter was hard, but the view of the stars was unparalleled. And it was strange, gazing up at these incomprehensibly vast constellations, billions of light years away, it was truly strange to remember how I lived before. How my old upturned crib had been converted into the parish hall. How even when I'd first arrived here, the scaffolding off my ribs had stretched to four stories. But however strange it seemed, I knew it to be true. And I'm not ashamed to say I wept for it. For this sudden loss of stature. At least I wasn't alone. All around me was evidence of once great things now shrunken. 
Without its inhabitants to prop it up, this host metropolis could no longer hold its own weight. I wasn't the only thing buckling. Of course it didn't last. As I said, the first thing this place teaches you is elasticity. The organs of the state might bend, but they rarely snap. So time passed, and little by little the city began to draw back to its full height. Spring came, skyscrapers blossomed, the wild beasts were driven back into the forests, and great zeppelins filled with the air of public service announcements, the once exiled began to return in droves, increased and professing humility. The crisis was over. We were building back. I knew this day would come. I stretched out on my little postage stamp island and waited to grow. And waited. And waited. And looked to the stars. And wrote to my mother. And dreamt of the hills. And somehow... I was still shrinking, measuring my limbs against the prongs of Her Majesty's crown, limbs that were once the length of a football field, I was still shrinking. I couldn't understand it. What had I got wrong? It was over. A phone consultation with an NHS specialist proved inconclusive, and no face-to-face -face appointments were available. One of the returned students, now completing a master's degree in violence and property development, and mushroomed to the size of two double-decker buses, told me how lucky I was. Small things needed far less. I couldn't imagine the trouble he was having. Starving, he told me, ravenous, as he munched through the signage of a local Turkish barber's, belching out argon and fibreglass, clearing the site for the future advancement of us all. Just wait. Growth is coming. A rising tide raises all boats. Get ready for the flood, my friend. And he was gone. Taking my postage stamp with him, he had urgent legal documents to send. The night was extraordinarily cold. So I made my way down off the roof of the bus stop and crawled inside the headphone socket of a commuter's phone. An old model. Lucky it still has one. And I fitted inside it so snugly. I'm sure it must have been designed for me. It's warm and dark and cosy. And when I awoke the next morning, I knew with absolute certainty that this was not just where I belonged, but where I've always been. I was never boundless. <laughs> what an idea! I never knew the country, the sky, the hills, the bathtub of the valley. I must have dreamt it all. Only ever here. But there's a world in here. Of sorts. Disembodied. Digitised. Interconnected. But small and lonely. And I try my best, I do, to keep my head down, forget that dream past, cause no trouble, but every now and again when I can't fight the urge any longer, I might still whisper in your ear. Whoever's ear I might now be in. Weren't we ever more than this?
Weren't we giants once? Can't you smell the pine? And doesn't that mean something? There was a giant here. There is a giant inside you. Can anybody hear me? This piece was directed by Jennifer Baxt, with sound design by Helen Atkinson.